So are we working? <laughs> I guess so. All right, well, as you know, you can turn to the book of Mark, chapter 6, if you'd like to follow along. We'll be focusing primarily on the last only four verses, uh, 53 to the end of the chapter, kind of wrapping up the uh, chapter 6 of Mark. But I uh, appreciate Pastor Lynn for, for reading uh, back a ways, kind of giving us a little context before we just focus in on these just few verses at the end. Uh, before we begin, I'm going to just uh, take a moment of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, would you come before you, thankful for your word, and we do ask your blessing upon We pray that our hearts and minds would be open to what you want us to know uh, about you. And we just pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, let's begin. Uh, have you ever read something wrong? <laughs> see some chuckles. Have you ever made an assumption when you were reading and, and kind of mo- started moving forward in a direction, uh, thinking you knew what, what it said, what was stated there, and you just kind of go until you get to a point and say, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm in the wrong spot. <laughs> That's not what that said. That's not what that means. Uh, uh, I find the interest in this. I, I a little bit of confession. I started doing that in this. I, brief little as I was, you know, a while back reading and studying, started moving forward in a direction, thinking what this little passage said. And and it's not much. It's it's one that I think it's easy to do because it's small. It's kind of at the tail end. It's like a wrap up of what we've seen previously in this chapter. Uh, some things that came before, and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, at first glance, you know, there's you know nothing uh, terribly complex about the account that we're looking at here. So I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you kind of move forward thinking you know, like you, you, yep, okay, I know what that's saying, and you start going, and until you come to a point, you're a little thankfully, do a little more study. You're like, wait a minute, that doesn't say that. I offer that as an example that sometimes you know, in, in God's word, sometimes you always need to slow down. And not just in God's word, but in life in general, I need to just slow down and not rush through things. Uh, I tend to do, you know, you do that sometimes when you think you, you had a good bead on something. And you just kind of just go forward. And, and sometimes you go, oh, wait a minute, that made a mistake there. Not a big one. It wasn't something that was going to head me off into heresy or error, thank the Lord, but it was still one of those that could have been embarrassing. Uh, he's just like someone, uh, most everyone here would have been sitting there going, that's not what that says. <laughs> it's a simple thing. The, 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 the area that the Lord, that they land in, that they, they, they beach on, they move in, is uh, the area of the region of Gennesaret. For some reason, I got in my head it was the Gadarenes, which was uh, a chapter back was where the Lord met the demon-possessed man and uh, sent them into the swine, and they ran down the bridge, and I was going forward under that assumption. Uh, again, not a terrible assumption, but it was, would have been wrong. And it would have been starting to give credit where credit wasn't due. Again, this may be an odd uh, introduction, but it was one that I felt I had to make because it, you know, it was that close to, to being up here talking about a whole different scenario that was not being depicted in this just couple verses. So what do we find here, beginning up in in verse 53? 
uh, of this chapter. And it says, when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. Again, uh, that, that context that Pastor Lynn wrote when he re- read uh, earlier, this comes right after uh, the, that dramatic event of the Lord Jesus Christ walking upon the sea. Uh, now, we're not told it's a storm, but a t- some kind of windstorm, a heavy windstorm, a waves blowing. Again, these, these men, these disciples, struggling on the ocean, you know, again, trying to learn. You know, the Lord's teaching them a lesson about faith. They missed again. And so they, they, he gets in the boat, and they get to where they were going. It wasn't very far from where they began. I mean, really, they didn't even go. Look, if you look at where they started to where they ended up, it wasn't the, the entire distance of the Sea of Galilee. It was kind of like a little bit of a, a corner of it, most likely. But they land at the, at the, the region of Gennesaret. So as I look at this, they were, you know, they continued on their way. This dramatic event, they continued on their way, and they land there. They arrive at Gennesaret, which is not only a town there, but a region. Apparently, the area, the region there is a flat, fertile plain on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, some have described it almost as like a, a garden of paradise in that area. I don't know, perhaps Pastor Kern could, I don't know if they spent time there when he was in the land of Israel or not. But it's a, you know, a small little valley that kind of comes down in between the hills as it opens up, a little broadens as it opens to the Sea of Galilee. And it's flat, it's fertile, it's, it's apparently a very beautiful area of, of countryside. And uh, so they come there, and, and so part is like, well, what was the purpose for them to go there? So just where they kind of ended up? Well, I think we know our Lord bearing that. There's always a purpose. There's always a reason in his destination. He didn't arrive somewhere just by accident. Well, let's just see what happens here. So it's going to take place. But again, this verse, uh, this is one of those two, you don't want to take too many, too many liberties and start assigning you know, uh, uh, meaning to things that aren't there. But I find it interesting when it says that they arrived there at the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. It almost never says that in other times when the Lord, when they're on the scene, they land someplace that he anchors. I'm sure they did. I mean, they stopped places and they waited for many, you know, at different times. They definitely don't want to give any, assign a, a tremendous amount of significant meaning, but I think at times it's interesting that he anchored. Reminds me that the Lord wasn't always in a hurry. You know, it wasn't like they get there. It wasn't a situation of, of arriving and telling some of the men, okay, leave the motor running. We're going to be back in a minute. Okay? We're just going to pop in, pop out, and we'll get going on our way or something. No, they anchor. We're going to spend some time. Come on. I guess I, I, part of me loves that, I, you know, the, the, the reality of God taking his time. He's not in a hurry. And again, part of you think, because we know the rest of the story. We know what's happening. The Lord is, you know, he, the cross is coming. He knows it. For us, in a human mind, we'd have been ticking off the days, going like, well, I've only got so much days, you know, counting down. Can't spend too much time here, there, or doing this or that, getting caught up in all these other things. Because that's, that appointment's coming. Not the Lord the Lord. He was never rushed. 
And I take a lot of comfort in that, that the Lord is not rushed. Because at times, oh, I'm rushed. I feel rushed. And sometimes I, I, I feel like I need to rush the Lord <laughs> into my circumstances, into my problems. You know, to deal with them, to answer them. He doesn't need to. It takes his time. In other translations of the Bible, in the ESV, it says he moored to shore. They moored there. They tied up. And the King James said they drew to shore. It's all the same meaning. They put down the anchor. They tied up. They were you know, securing the vessel while they were on land. Part of that, uh, that idea that the King James the drew couldn't help but remind me what James says in four, uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Part of me wonders a little what's going on here in this region as we go through this passage. You think about that, the, the bulk of the Lord's ministry has been taking place around the Sea of Galilee. We've seen him up in Capernaum many times, Bethsaida, Nazareth, moving around this region, backwards and forwards, across the sea, by land. We don't know exactly, you know, maybe some experts could pinpoint exactly what time it is. I would say it's roughly the middle of his earthly ministry-ish Oh, it's interesting. We don't. We're not told that. I, partly, you ever get frustrated a little bit by why the, you know, the Bible doesn't give you that kind of chronological time frame? This month, that week, this time. It just doesn't. Part of that was the context of how they kept time and what was important to them. How they designated events and things. Just not how they did it. It's our mind science doesn't work that way. So it was kind of around that middle of his ministry, most likely. But he's moving around, and he always seems to circle back around to other places. Have you ever noticed that? An event takes place, something happens, and he goes off to another region. He doesn't forget. Doesn't leave him. Often he comes back around, hits it again. See what's taking place, see what they've learned, see where they're at. Again, I take comfort in that because there's times I need <laughs> the Lord comes back around. Not that he ever left me. Don't get me wrong. He's always with me. But there's moments where it seems like, you know, where are you? What are you doing in my life? I'm going to come back and deal with you on this particular matter in a little while. I'm going to kind of let you kind of work in that yourself. And we're going to come back and deal with that. I'm going to come back around to it. I see partly that, the Lord circling back around to a region. He probably crossed over, at least near on both sides, Nazareth, Capernaum. They kind of almost hedged that in a bit, the region there. So he comes into this area. And verse 54 says, immediately, or it says, and then they came out of the boat. Immediately, the people recognized him. Immediately. And that phrase immediately is throughout the Gospel of Mark, that pace, moving, 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 immediately. Always a quick, quick set of paces to it. It's like they recognized him. Immediately when he came out, they recognized who he was. 
Yeah, finally, this was a time before newspapers, before television, before the internet, before any type of, of media that could put out an image of a person widespread. Part, I think, it reminds us again that the amount of time that the Lord was spending in, around this region. Specifically there and around it, people knew him by sight. They didn't need it on their, their devices. They didn't need it on, you know, sketched on walls of any kind. They knew it. They knew it was him. Knew him by sight. Again, that he'd been in that region ministering and preaching for some time now. And how did they respond? The mob him get his autograph? Hey, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Ooh, well, right. No, of course not. They just sit down and want to hear him preach? Well, not this time. So the people recognized him in verse 55 and ran throughout the whole surrounding region. They ran. Began to carry about on beds those who were sick to whoever he whoever they heard he was. It's interesting, their reaction, they saw him, and their immediate reaction was, I got to get Bill. I got to get Mary. Immediately, someone in their mind, they knew who was sick, infirm, with some capacity of some ailment, we got to get them. We got to get them here. Jesus is here. We got to bring them to him. I was running. I love that image. Part of me thinks, yeah, again, I won't believe it too much. You know, the Forrest Gump, I was running. I use that sometimes in my own testimony because uh, some of you have heard it. You know, when I started carpentry construction, I knew nothing. <laughs> Literally, nothing. And I got yelled at a lot. And the only way I could seem to appease the foreman or appease those ahead of me was by running <laughs> as fast as I could. And the story goes that it was told to me by another man. He told me years later, he said, you know, one time we, me and the boss, the first company I worked for, we were sitting there talking out on the front end of this one building, and suddenly you come just tearing around the front end of that building, full sprint. And the boss, Jim, was like, where in the world is that kid going? He said, we watched you, and you went, and you grabbed a bunch of two-by-fours, threw them up on your shoulders, maybe you could carry, and you just sprinted all the way back to the back side of the building. And he said, Jim watched you, he's like, well, we got to keep him. <laughs> I was like, yeah. But it was just, my, just run, just run, get, whatever they say, get. But part of me, in the same it was just so immediate, so instinctual for these people. And when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, they went. I love that word, immediately. Wasn't they sat down and talked? It was like, I don't know, do you think he can really do what they say he does? I don't know. Do you really believe it? I'm not so sure. Maybe we should stick around and see if he proves it. No. Boom. Immediately. Now, some of them may have seen already. Some of them may have witnessed already. But I just love that reaction was immediate. 
throughout the whole region. Now, Gennesaret may not be huge. The, the, that area, that plain, it's roughly about two miles by four miles, two miles wide by four miles long. So the whole region, they ran through it. That's amazing. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, how, you know, from one end to the other. I find it interesting. Now, why would they do that? Run throughout the whole region. You know, I don't know. Probably just new people. You know, it's a small area, community-wise. They probably knew people dotting around. But in one commentary I read, they said part of the reason it could be that they did that, that that area, area of Gennesaret, had uh, several medicinal mineral springs, uh, apparently making it somewhat of a resort of sorts for invalids. You know, again, you know, we can somewhat may relate to that even today. Today, there, there's places that people go to because of the waters are good for health. And that has been true probably from the very beginning of time till now. There are places that people uh, saw, and some of it is true. I mean, good water is going to keep you healthy, <laughs> as opposed to foul water. So, but apparently this region had a, 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 a substantial amount of people with illnesses and sicknesses, which would allow people to run and grab everyone from every part of that region grabbing them, bringing them to that area. You know, partly it reminds me of some other areas. We've seen this before in the Lord's earthly ministries. You like to keep your finger here, but just turn to the beginning of the book of Mark, uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> chapter 1, uh, verse 32. This is after the Lord's uh, uh, was at Capernaum and been preaching and all day at Peter's house. Uh, assumed, anyways, in verse thirty-two said, "Evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him." And from the very beginning of the Lord's earthly ministry, as he began to work, people just, when they heard them, everyone en masse coming to him. Coming to him. And even at the end of, of chapter uh, 1, uh, the Lord heals a leper. In verse 67, it says, However, he went out, uh, the, the leper, and began to proclaim it freely and spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Yeah, time and time again, everywhere, coming to him, flocking to him. I love in this instant, they, obviously the people in this area were to the point that they needed someone to bring them to Christ. Because part of me, as I read this and I began to think about it, part of the question I have, even for myself, how far would I go to bring someone to Christ? I mean, we can think of that in the context of healing. If you knew someone who was sick, how far would you go to carry them? I mean, in our day and age, you could probably put someone in a car and truck and drive them. You know, if you knew they needed help, if you knew there was someone uh, that could heal them, would you take them to the hospital? Of course you would. Take them as far as you had to. 
But in our context today, when we think of salvation, I mean, this world needs Jesus Christ. How far would you go to bring someone to Christ? Would we walk next door? Would you pick up a phone? Will you send a text? We can bemoan uh, the aspects of our society and our world and some of the, 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 the downfalls of technology and things of that nature, but we don't have to carry anyone physically to bring them to Christ. It's interesting, even in the context here, they had to go and come back with the person. We bring the message of eternal life to them. We don't have to go backwards and forwards. We just keep going forward with the good news. I don't know about you, but part of me is, is, is convicted <laughs> by that thought. Convicted of the, the idea of where, how far am I willing to go to bring someone to Jesus Christ. But as we look back at our passage as well, in chapter 6, while they were bringing them, it's been said that you can only show someone the door. They still have to walk through it themselves. I find it interesting in this context, in this event, in this uh, account, that when it says they brought them, they went, they got them, and they brought them to wherever Jesus Christ was. And in verse 56 says, Wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. As many as touched him were made well. So they brought them to them, and then they laid them down. They put them in his path, so to speak, wherever he was. They didn't come up and, like, you know, bump him into Jesus. They laid him down. I'm like, okay, I've taken you this far. I brought you to him. Now it's up to you to make that final acceptance. You're going to have to reach out your hand and touch his cloak as he walks by. It's not much. If you had someone who is deathly ill and all they had to do is touch someone as they walked by, you think they'd do it? Well, they believed that they would. I mean, that's all you had to do. You don't have to go to the end of the earth. You don't have to perform some great task. You don't have to expend a great amount of money. Just touch. Just touch this as it goes by. How much more so now when all we have is the free gift of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to work your way. You don't have to earn it. Just believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, and a whole host of other blessings are yours for all eternity. It's all. 
But it's interesting, too, in this passage, you know, when you think about it, you know, why would they do that? I guess looking at this, uh, why would they just lay them down and beg him that they might touch him? They, again, they don't say, Jesus, could you touch me? Jesus, can I just touch your garment as you walk by? Well, if you remember when we were here back at the beginning of, of, of back when we were back in chapter 5, kind of gives us, clues us in to why they would do this, why they knew that this would heal them. We won't spend the whole time in chapter 5. It's from verse 27 to 36. as the account of the woman with the infirmity of, of the flow of blood. I won't read through it all, but it tells us she was, she was infirm for, for 12 years. But in verse 28, it says, For she said, if, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And then immediately the fountain of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from the affliction. And, and we, we, when we were in that passage, we wondered, well, how would she know that? Why would she believe that, of all things, to simply touch his garment that would heal her? She knew her scripture. And you can keep your finger here in Mark, but turn to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, which is right after Matthew, <laughs> or before Matthew, sorry. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. It says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. But that verse, that statement there, with healing in his wings, that for the, in the, the context of that time and, and what they knew, what they called at the, 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 at the bottom of the, the, the garments that they wore, they were often fringes, tassels. They referred to those as the wings. The wings of their garment. In that context, back in chapter 5, this woman knew. She believed that if all I do is touch that part of his clothes, I'll be healed. And she has proven true. Apparently there's a picture, I've never seen it, but I've been told that there's a, a classic a painting of the Lord Jesus Christ. All you see is his feet and garment and other feet around and one lone hand reaching out to touch that piece of garment. Just think of the, the imagery, the reality of that. Someone that desperate but so full of faith that all I have to do is that. I think how powerful this is back in chapter 5. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ stopped everything. <laughs> Again, a huge crowd was all around him and everything was going on and he stopped and said, somebody touched me. Who was it? Because he knew someone had that kind of faith that if all I do is this, I'll be made well. And he wanted to make a big deal out of it. 
He wanted to make note of that. He wanted to call attention to it. He wanted to call attention to her faith. And I find interesting, again, while the disciples struggling you know, ups and downs with their failures of faith and the lessons that they've been learning, to kind of we circles back around to an area close to where this happened. Close to where, probably within, you know, maybe several miles from where this woman was healed. Again, don't know exactly the time frame, but again, that happened in chapter 5. We're talking maybe weeks, um, months at most. You think the word got out? I think the word got out. You know, there was a big crowd around at that time when this happened. The Lord made sure everyone knew what happened and how she got healed. Oh, I think the word went out. I think just by, again, we think about that from person to person, town to town. Did you hear Flo? She got healed. What? She's been suffering for 12 years. What happened? She go to a doctor or something? No. Jesus of Nazareth. All she did was touch his garment. And she was healed like that. You think especially a region that, that was uh, had full of potentially many, many sick and infirm people. Touch their hearts. Move them. Oh, if only I could get that close. If only I could touch his garment. I would be healed. I think also the excitement as someone came and said, Jesus is here. He's there. We're going to take you to him. The excitement. The hope stirred within them. And we see the reality of that. I mentioned in my introduction part that I said that, 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 that I was mis... I made an assumption I glossed over and thought it was the Gadarenes where they were at. I was going to give all this credit to the man who was healed of the demon possession, that, that this result was, this healing was taking place because of his testimony had gone out. I'm sure something, you know, his testimony was powerful, but in this context, it was this woman. Testimony of her healing and her faith. I think that, that resulted, and I think this is part of why the Lord Jesus Christ circles back around. He didn't do it just for that one woman. He knew the word would get out. He knew that field would be ripe for a harvest. Because again, the Lord wasn't just about healing physical. It was about the spirit. It was about salvation. And Lord Jesus Christ always circles back around. It's partly why they say you need to hear the gospel more than once. Seven times they hear they say that people need to hear it before they respond. I'm sure there's many a testimony that someone said they heard it and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for you. That's for the religious. You're a Bible thumper, whatever. It comes back around again and again and again. The Lord doesn't give up. Also, when I see this, again, the, the, the reality of that testimony of that woman's faith. Maybe sometimes, you know, we, 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 
We like to think that we can act on faith without, with complete blindness, without any facts, without anything to support it. And the Bible uh, honors that, extols that, lifts that up. And Paul says that we walk by faith, not by sight. But sometimes some people need a little help. They need an example to follow. They need something that says, I've been there before. I've been where you're at. And this is what changed my life. Sometimes nothing's more powerful than a testimony to soften a heart. To bring someone around to that point of, yes, Lord. Sometimes the faith of others can give someone else the, the, the ability to have the faith to act. To reach out and respond in faith. And we see that. We see them on the ground. And what a picture that was as well. The public place. You wonder how many were. Tens, hundreds, laying along in public marks, just reaching out their hands as he passed by. But all, all with that desire to be made whole. And that same desire today, we can look around our society, our country, this world, people still want to be healed, need to be healed. But mostly it's the heart that needs to be healed. I love as it says, it ends in, in the end of that verse, verse 56. As many as touched him were made well. As many as touched him were made well. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say most. It says as many as did. Essentially saying everyone. Everyone who reached out and touched him was made well. And as we think about that passage, that there's a part of me makes me think of another passage. They based on what these people were able to react and respond based on what they knew to be true because of the testimony of what took place in another's life or the eyewitnesses of that event. Makes me think of what the Lord Jesus Christ told uh, Thomas after his resurrection. If you'd like to turn there, uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 28. Again, the context, uh, the Lord has risen, appeared to, to all the disciples except Thomas. Thomas said, lest I see and put my hand into his side and touch the nail holes, I will not believe. And the Lord comes to him. Verse 28, Thomas says, answered and said to him, Lord, my Lord and my God. It's verse 29 that kind of was reminded of in this passage. It says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
part of that yesterday, I think, for many of us, for us today. We never saw the Lord physically. We didn't see the nails. We didn't see him wounded. But we believed. We've read the account. We've heard the testimonies. And we believed. Kind of like the woman who was healed the first time. She acted simply by faith. She knew the word of God and she believed it and acted on it. Anyways, at the beginning, next verse in, in, in John 20. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I think if you look at small little passages like the one we were at, ones that could be easily glossed over, look, you know, moved past. You know, it doesn't seem to hold much for us there. Very straightforward account of what took place. But time and time again, what is recorded is that we may believe, read and believe and know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that we may have life in his name. Oh, bless God, we don't need anything else. We can read and believe. We can share the truth to this world that needs it so much. And as I pray that we can be like those <laughs> in the region of Gennesaret, that we don't have to go running around telling people that Jesus is here or bring them to him. We get to take Jesus to them wherever we go place of business our shopping trips <laughs> family gatherings everywhere we go we get to take the Lord Jesus Christ and bring him to them effectively bringing the door to them and hopefully they'll walk through let's pray gracious Heavenly Father we do pray thankful that you are a God who gives so freely that we can have salvation simply simply by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray that we will be faithful uh, to just carry that message to those that need it, those around us, that they may trust in you. And Father, we thank you and ask your blessing upon the rest of our day. In your name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Becker. One of the things I appreciate, yes, we have different pastors, different speakers, we all have our different styles, and something I appreciate about Pastor Becker is that when you enter a passage with him, you're going you're gonna to shift down and you're going to start to go a little slow. And you're just going to sit there and you're going to think. And it's going to force you to think about things that you would probably easily overlook if you were just sitting there reading on its own. And so I really appreciate about that, about you, Pastor. So thank you very much for sharing with us.